getting getting sexy stuff oh yeah is it ever <laughs> and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about for at least as long as it takes to watch them. <laughs> Let's see if it's if it's true this week. Anyway, so it's episode number one hundred and fifty. My name's Jakob, and my name's Randy. By the way, before we start, it just occurred occur to me when, while we were setting up this hundred and fifty official main show episodes. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Wow. Yeah, you. <laughs> ting, ting. Congra- and then, you know, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations, us. Let's just keep go- keep doing what we're doing. Like, because I don't, I don't even have, like, I don't know. It's like, oh, it doesn't, does it feel special? Ah, 150, that's like five golden anniversaries, I guess. Sorry, three golden anniversaries. Goodness, my math. So, is a golden anniversary 50 years together? Yeah, so 150 episodes. Jesus, that's a long while. That is a long time. But it's only 150 weeks if you think about it. Yeah. So, yeah. so coming up on three years. So, yeah, congratulations. Yeah. It is a big deal. You know, I mean, I'm kind of happy with this because, like, some shows take like take take breaks. There are hiatuses, seasons, hiatuses, hiat one hiatus, two hiatuses. Hiatai. Hiatai <laughs> sounds better. Hiatai. Also, we can you can it's an it's a weird anagram of Haiti. <laughs> True. <laughs> what was I? Uh, yeah. Anyway, so people kind of take these breaks, you know, like because they were like life happens, and for some reason we were just like week in, week out. There is a new show coming up. Like whatever happens, hurricane or not. Hurricane. <laughs> Hurricane or not, yes, we've we've been through a lot actually. Yeah, like hurricanes, COVID, bounce of COVID. Uh, yeah, you know, like people would be falling out of, 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 of you know about by the wayside, like canceling on you. Uh, oh, hello, what's that? I should probably just turn off my phone. It's Emily from the office, cursing <laughs> you over your purchase orders. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, it's in my it's on on my regular phone, so you know she doesn't know. Um, where was I? Yeah, like no, I don't know. One hundred and fifty feels like because like, it's been a while. It's almost three years. Yeah. Well, I think that. I think it's a statement just to be you know fixed regular routine. You know we're we're like a dose of fiber, just regular. Just <laughs> to keep there. that keep that stool nice and loose, but not too loose. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we are. <laughs> nice starchy, regular. A, a not too starchy banana. <laughs> exactly. Just when it's when it's just about good enough to peel, but not mushy. <laughs> <laughs> Very fibrous. Yes. Anyway, so, where are perfect. we? Perfect. <laughs> well, no, I'll say congratulations, Jacob. You were here from day one. This is your baby. Well, well done. I missed out on a few episodes, didn't I? But mostly Patreon shows, I Just think. Patreon. Yeah. So there's that. Anyway. Yeah. 
Oh goodness, but you know, we're here. You know, 150. Let's see if we can make it to 200. Before we all Let's die. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so episode 150. We are, I think it's, we're beginning our December jaunt through Christmas-themed horror films. So that will be a month dedicated to, well, you guessed it, sort of hol- holiday season scares. Uh, and we're beginning by talking about Silent Night, Dead, Deadly Night from 1984. But, that, but more on that later, for now, um, let's just quickly recap of uh, a little bit of what's happening on the Patreon. So patreon.com slash uncutgemspod is where you want to go if you want to support the show. And for just three bucks a month, <clears throat> three pounds, three euro, four fifty Canadian. And God knows how how many Australian. I don't know. Probably four fifty too. <laughs> uh, um, you can you can you know sign up and 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 help us pay the bills. And in an exchange, you'll get access to over seventy podcasts where long form conversations about films that are just let, most of them slightly less of the beaten track. Should I say? Because these are bonus tie-ins, our monthly sort of um, additions to the themes. Uh, our director director marathons, our Soderbergh project lives there, half half of it at least. Um so there's plenty of stuff to listen to. So if you if you don't mind our voices too much, you can just about do it and you know and help out and then you'll get get access to some shows. And if and actually on that, you might as well just mention uh that some of these shows are free to listen. So you can go in there and um have a you know, have a taste, have a have a poke, you know, wet your toes. I don't know. Do something. So Cabaret, our bonus time from last month, is available to listen for free. And that's you know that's on the occasion of <laughs> Randy's 50th birthday. So once again, our man is crossed half a century. Holy shit, this is a this is this is something. It sort of, yeah, it sort of is. Do you feel different now? No, because we're we're actually recording this one. Shoo shoo shoo! This is magic. <laughs> Ruining the magic. Yeah, the, stay in the future. Stay in the future. Jesus. I feel great. <laughs> See, there you go. Because okay, cats out of the bag. We're li- we're recording this slightly ahead of schedule because schedule schedule. Either or. There's probably regional differences. You know, regional preferences rather. Um, <clears throat> schedule. Okay, let's go with schedule. Um, so we're recording this slightly ahead of schedule because we want to give ourselves a little bit of a Christmas break, just to recharge and you know. Uh, I don't know, do something else for a change, you know? Uh, just, to, you know, like work work out, work out, up some kind of a distance so that we, we can get together after Christmas and then just reunite like long-lost friends. You know? yeah. <laughs> there you go. And actually have a couple hours in the week for family too over the holidays. Yes, that, that, is, that is true as well. <laughs> um, yeah. So our cabaret episode is available to listen for free. And by the way, also the the October bonus tie-in, which was a 50th anniversary of The Exorcist, that's also free to listen. And actually, if you go back a little bit earlier than that, you'll find that um, our episode on Heat is free to listen as well. That's just this year. And then also The Thing and a few others are, I think, available to listen for free. And then just, you know, you might as well just stay tuned for more for information coming coming later towards, the, towards, toward, well, as we get closer to Christmas, because there may or may not be some announcements. I'll put it that way. Anyway, so also on the Patreon, <clears throat> our Soderbergh episode, 
which is, if I remember correctly, because <laughs> this is in the future. Okay, so on, no. is it so, no sudden move? No sudden move. Yeah, so on also on the Patreon, the uh, uh, bonus addition to the Soderberg journey. That's no sudden move. So, but but that that's behind the paywall. So you have to go and dish out the three bucks. Okay. Um, and also later in the month we we're going to be finishing our year-long John Cassavetes marathon with big trouble. Um, so that so that's happening towards I want to say closer to Christmas. I think shortly after Christmas, if I remember correctly. So that's happening. So that's our that's our Patreon. Oh, and by the way, like this this month's um, bonus time is Black Christmas because you know Christmas themed horror films you gotta have Black Christmas. Uh, so that, the one from nineteen seventy four, by the way, not the recent remake. Um, so that's the Patreon. And if you don't feel like you know supporting us and then joining for a subs- on a subscription sort of basis, you can always leave us a one off donation if you so please at ko-fi.com slash uncutgemspod or you can just leave us a star rating and a review and just or maybe not even that just tell your friends tell one friend pay it forward tell tell them to listen to our show because that's kind of how we how we want to roll we're small we're niche uh we know we don't have aspirations and or ambitions it's just cool to talk about films <laughs> we're we ambitionless are. exactly <clears throat> we're listless fucks <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah so that's it you know if you feel you know if you feel spicy might as well just send us an email uncutgemspod at gmail.com hey uh, or just go on uncutgemspodcast.com slash contact I think that's where that's where you can also send us an email or send us some kind of a message or just you know find us elsewhere now I think it's time let's talk about the movie of the week which is Silent Night Deadly Night Grandpa? What you want her for? She can't help you? Nobody can. You're scared, ain't you? You should be. Christmas Eve is the scariest damn night of the year. I'd be scared too, if I was you. You know what happens Christmas Eve, don't you? You know all about Santa Claus. He brings presents to all good boys and girls. <laughs> Your daddy told you that, didn't he? Well, I tell you something. Santa Claus only brings presents to them that's been good all year. To the ones that ain't done nothing naughty. Doggy. All the other ones. All the naughty ones. He punishes. Silent Night was released in 1984. It was directed by Charles E. Sellier Jr. and uh, written by Michael Hickey. And uh, stars... Oh boy. Um, Lillian Chauvin, Gilmer McCormick, Tony Nero, Robert Brand Wilson. Like, a bunch of nobodies, I want to say. Fair. I think so. Alex Burton. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, as I said, a bunch of nobodies, because that, that's part of the allure of the film, I suppose. But anyway, so it's a story that follows the disturbing transformation of Billy Chapman, who, after witnessing the murder of his parents by a criminal in a Santa Claus suit, <laughs> grows up in an orphanage, tormented by a strict mother superior, and as an adult, Billy takes, a, takes on a job um, at a toy store, but succumbs to a traumatic trigger during the Christmas season, leading him to embark on a killing spree, dressed as Santa Claus. Okay, that's the synopsis of the film. <laughs> As right, one so does. Exactly. Yeah. So the, I, in terms of the backstory of the actual film production, I don't think there's much. So, so that was conceived by an executive producer. Uh, I think his name is Scott Scheind. Scheind. Um, so it was based on a, on a short story entitled um, He Sees You When You're Sleeping. Um and it was about a killer, Santa Claus. Um, so, so yeah, that, and yeah, the idea was that let's just make a slasher film, kind of, kind of like that. Anyway, so they sent this the screenplay to TriStar, uh, and they said like, "This is amazing, let's do this, right?" So they they agreed to finance the movie, and then this was kind of un- produced under a working title, Sleigh Ride, and they wanted to kind of find um, a new young hotshot director, you know. Uh, would be the next John Carpenter. I think that was the sort of the, the spiel at the time. And they, I think, among others, they they wanted to court Sam Raimi, uh, but you know nothing came out of it. And I think TriStar guys they wanted um, a veteran. That's what they wanted. Charles E. Sellier Jr., who I don't think he rec- directed anything at the time. I think he had like a documentary behind his belt, but he was like a seasoned TV producer. Like he had way well, a long, 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 long list of, of films and TV, okay. TV shows and TV movies that he produced uh, because it would be, you know, he would be easy to work with. He would knew how he would know how to do stuff. You know, like he's, he knows the drill. He knows how to work the set. He knows how he knows how to manage a production. That, that was kind of the deal. You know, like the, the guys who were kind of just running the show, they weren't quite happy because the guy didn't really have a vision. It wasn't exactly the, the vibe of the next John Carpenter, you know, like a guy with like a 30 TV movies behind his belt. So <clears throat> they shot it in Utah and I want to say between March and April 1983. So let's just say that the snow in the movie, all the snowy scenes were just shot first because it was kind of getting warm. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and then they they hired a cast of nobodies essentially because they, they cast mostly locals from Utah. Uh, to to be in the film, which is a which is an interesting thing. So you know, the movie came together. They they wrapped it and whatever, submitted it to the MPAA, and MPAA had a bit of a problem because apparently it was very violent. I mean, it is very violent. Yeah. Um. So they they had massive issues getting it down to an R rating because I was com- coming back with an X. <laughs> uh. So I think they had to remove a few scenes. I think all told, I think they removed almost ten minutes of the film. So from like an eighty-four minute runtime trimmed down to like 74 minutes or something to that effect to get an R rating. Um, and the sort of advertising, so they, they planned the release, um, the, the release of the film for the Christmas season 1984. For this. So they wanted this to be released on this uh, November 9th, which by the way, we're recording this. Cats out of the bank, kids. Okay, we're recording this in November. It's 10th of November when we're recording this. So it's almost like on the... Um, you know, like forty-first anniversary of the film, right? So that was released on the November 9, uh, 1984, which is the beginning of the Christmas season. When you think about it, it's like nearly two, you know, like a month and a half 
almost two months <laughs> ahead of schedule. Now, now it's a joke, right? When you're just like, yeah. you know, like Halloween's decorations like disappear from supermarkets and Mariah Carey comes back and you're like, all I want for Christmas. <laughs> like, and you just think to yourself like, Jesus, where's, what, what's the world gone, gone to just Christ. And it turns out like in the eighties, the, the sort of, you know, like the beat was similar. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's <laughs> what it is. So the film was released on this November 9th, but it was preceded by like a TV marketing campaign was with the sort of, with a th- trailer in the vein of like, Twas the Night Before Christmas with an axe and everything. And apparently people lost their shit. <laughs> like PTAs had uh, staged protests. They picketed the movie. They sent angry letters. They said they, they apparently, we're going to get to it, but you know, there was a massive backlash against the movie because apparently they were afraid the children's gonna, children are going to um, think that Santa is a killer and they will be afraid of Santa Claus and the movie will ruin Christmas. Okay. We're going to get to it. So I'm just like, let's just, let's just keep it in, in, in the back pocket just for now. However, this continued, like Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel really hated the movie. And by the way, they, the, the film was, the backlash was so strong that the movie was pulled after two weeks. And by the way, like this was released against the, A Nightmare on, on Elm Street. And the first weekend it out-earned it, by the way. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Be- oh, fair enough. Oh, it, okay. This is a bit of a, <clears throat> I call it shitbaggery. Just, you know, like, just manipul- manipulating facts like that, saying like, oh, it was Aaron, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. A Nightmare on Elm Street was released on no- November 9th in, on a, in a limited release. Meanwhile, I think um, Silent Night, Deadly Night was a wide release at the time. I see. So it right. earned it, I think, in num- numerical terms, as in like it made more money. But I think if you count per screen, it probably was less. So... <laughs> Or nobody knows, but you know, like this is you know, like a politician's answer. Just like you know, in real terms, we increased funding for to to our national health service. I'm just like, if you if you count discount inflation, then you're actually have been making cuts. Okay, idiots. Yeah, it's, and it's you know very you're hard to about. communicate numbers. There's always a story. Yeah, but it's always a spin in the narrative, so mm-hmm. it's almost kind of like that. Anyway, so the movie was panned by critics like Siskel and Ebert named and shamed the producers like they started name dropping them on their on the review show okay saying like this is bad movie they said like they have these people have blood on their hands we're gonna get to it okay like they, they really lost their marbles over this Jeez, guys chill <laughs> yeah I know um so Leonard Moulton our good, our good oh. friend Leonard Moulton also called it a worthless, lately. Yeah. worthless splatter film, he called it, citing it as a bomb uh, and asking, what's next? The Easter Bunny as a, as a child molester? <laughs> Just think about it. This is at the same time when A Nightmare on Elm Street is in the cinemas. Okay. Right. Fair enough. Freddy Krueger. Not even close to an Easter Bunny, but just, you know. They, they, okay, Gene Siskel just told like told to the camera, apparently, just shame on you, okay? <laughs> just, they were really out for blood, these people. Up. I gotta look yeah, this yeah. up. So, uh, a daily variety review argued that whatever arguments the film was making and on the commercialism of Christmas were overshadowed by the graphic violence which the reviewer saw, saw as off-putting. Uh, Michael Wilmington in LA Times 
it's safe to predict that Sunday Night Daily Night will start making worst movie of all time lists almost immediately. Like this is the kind of critical feedback we get. Like this starts at like, uh, stands at like want to say like now at forty something percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's still certified not fresh. <laughs> uh, rotten, I think then the name is, but became a cult 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 sort of item because you know it was pulled from cinemas, it was heavily um, he- heavily edited. In Britain, I think they didn't even release it because BBFC was famously, mm-hmm. famously prude, <laughs> prudish. Like, you know, like this was this still the video nasty era. Like they really had problems releasing, releasing films. So they they would just shove and say like, we're, 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 we can't even give it an 18. Okay. Like you'd have to remove half of the shit. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then since then, I think it was released on VHS, ran out of print, Arrow Films submit found um a f- complete print remastered in i want to say 2009 and submitted it for um a bbfc classification they actually got it so they could release it and they released it unrated on dvd and then later on i think like shout factory as in scream factory and Bay in america and also um uh, i want to say 101 films maybe in the UK, released Blu-ray. So, like, this film's kind of now now exists on physical media in full, unadulterated format. Um, it's available in, in other ways as well, but it stands as this sort of slasher, cult item, spawned a franchise. I think there's, like, I want to say four direct sequels plus a remake. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so it, so it became a bit of a thing, uh, you know, a, a slasher item of the 80s one of one of many i suppose which is also hopefully going to be a, a an item in this conversation which i don't know how long it's going to take but at this point like i've been rambling for 20 minutes so you know might as well just like, a, like i've been rambling, rambling for just as long as little billy was in in an orphanage <laughs> <laughs> right so randy you tell me what did you think about silent night deadly night from 1984 <laughs> So I have no history whatsoever with this film. And, you know, I, I enjoyed listening to your uh, background story because I, I knew none of that. So this is all great. Um, you know, what? I I watched this last week, but I only got through half of it, to be honest. And then I watched through the week. I watched the <laughs> so watched number the two. Half. Hold on. You watched half of it? Yeah. So you didn't even get to the first kills? No, I got to the first kills. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So it, then, then anyway, it's, then, a, it's a slow burn. <laughs> it, it was sort of a scattered week, and I ended up squeaking in a watch of Silent Night, Deadly Night Two, and Silent Night, Deadly Night Three, and then uh, yesterday I snuck in a watch of the whole Silent Night, Deadly Night film. So what I will say is, I've seen most of the first half hour of this film like four times. <laughs> <laughs> Because the opening, especially the business where this this family is uh, is killed by Santa Claus and little Billy is watching from the bushes, like it's it's basically on repeat in uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night two and three. So I've seen parts of this film a number of times now. Uh, you know what? I think it's sort of a fun little film. Like it is sloppy, and you can tell that there are uh, budget and resource limitations everywhere but you know it's it's not that bad a film it's got a singular idea it's not crafted in a a super clever way 
but it's enough of an idea, a gimmick that I can follow, especially, a, you know, for an 80 minute film or 78 minute film, whatever it is. So it, it, it chugs along very, very simple and singular. It is, it, you know, this, this would not stand beside the craft of Halloween or uh, even uh, Friday Black the Christmas? 13th or Black Christmas. Like not, none of these, they have, yeah. they have other stuff going on, but you know what? For what it is, just a, a low budget, sloppy little slasher with a Christmas gimmick. They're sort of having fun. I'm 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 okay with that. I'm on board with that. I think that um, it might collapse in on itself <laughs> in sort of a narrative type of way too, because I don't know if it really properly covers the idea of you know this protagonist, this sweet kid that we're following, following turning into you know, a homicidal maniac is so it's where my empathy should be. Like, I think there's, there's sort of a mishmash here and all kinds of, uh, fruit loopy little, uh, avenues that, uh, you know, in terms of where this film goes and what's going into this film. Uh, however, I sort of thought it was fun and it didn't really do anything to offend me the way that it offended all of our uh, 1980s critics friends because <laughs> they're not maybe, my friends anymore. <laughs> it's like, I feel like may, maybe I'm sensitized to it, but I think too, uh, and I, I feel we're going to get into it. I, I feel again, this was something new. So a couple of things we've talked about on this show a lot um, is these late seventies, early eighties critics and their expectations so there's that and you know i think they don't really know what they're looking at here because it's different and it's you know this this fusion of christmas and violent slashers it just this is not compatible with my expectations and it's like because it's something new (laughs) expand your mind it if you were criticizing it because it's sloppy and you know, poorly developed or if you have issues with the, the character, as I was sort of suggesting how he goes from this cute little kid to a killer and who am I supposed to follow? If it were a little bit more interesting or, or thoughtful, a criticism, I could get behind it, but because it's just really on the level of violence, then, you know, whatever. And maybe I'm coming at it from a generation where I've been exposed to a lot of violent film watching and I'm, I'm desensitized, whatever, maybe. You watch um, Deliverance at the right page of three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, I Mommy, watched it. What, a- is it, what is this man doing? <laughs> watched it a couple of weeks ago, actually. Are um, wrestling, Mommy? <laughs> <laughs> What's with the guy who's talking funny? What's he doing behind the other man? Uh, uh, so they're, rest- they're wrestling around. <laughs> and the other thing I think, which is part of the backdrop here, is the 1980s. Just in this, it's it's sort of this first content era where. You know, we'll want to have videos to rent on video store shelves and cable market was emerging and there were more channels on TV. So, you know, you could sell your movie to uh, to play on Saturday nights or whatever on different stations. So there's all these other markets that are emerging. So it's it's a bit of a content era. And one thing we we've talked about is the idea of the the horror comedy or the mixing, the mixing and mashing of genres. So I think that's going on here as well you know it's like sam raimi you're mentioning mm-hmm. him that the producers well oh this guy that did evil dead he's he's a character he seems to have a, a flavor a flair that sort of makes sense because that's where the 80s 
ultimately goes. So yeah, I, I can see why this has been reevaluated and has a bit of a cult following now. It makes total sense. I think it's deserving of that. So yeah, for the most part, I, I like this. I can, I can watch this. I'm not going to return to it often, but I wouldn't be offended at all by watching it again. It's messy, but it's sort of messy fun. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Me. What about you? Oh, right. For me, also, is, is this going to ruin story? your Christmas? No, it did not ruin my Christmas. <clears throat> Because I mean, although I will say, like I, I I started watching this and I had like mixed feelings a little bit because it really takes a long while to get going. Like it takes a almost half the film <laughs> before stuff really happens, right? Um, and and it doesn't necessarily feel like it's gearing up to something. It feels like it's very sort of listless, very um, uh, yeah, like this movie kind of, like I don't know, I, I used it before on like an exorcist 3 like this is a movie that kind of feels like it just wanders like it has like dementia and then just forgot where it lives you know um but it then it, then it gets going and i like the uh, so sort of the the go to visual metaphor my metaphor for it i have is like a 1980s turbocharged diesel volvo with a also with a with an automatic transmission so you know it's like a two two and a half liter engine or something right <laughs> but if you step on it nothing will happen and then nothing will happen some more and then you'll hear this of the engine kind of spool up a little bit and we're just like oh we're going somewhere and then the turbo will spin up and then then you'll feel the power come in like seconds later so it's just like you know we need to overtake someone you actually have to plan it in advance almost like a submit an application <laughs> first to overtake someone in, a, in an old car with a turbo diesel engine and also an automatic transmission where you don't get to choose that you get to downshift <laughs> yourself right you have to trust the machinery so you know floor it and you're just like okay 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 whoa <laughs> You know, that's kind of how I feel. Like this movie just takes forever to get going and then it goes really off the chain. <laughs> so, um, and this is where it becomes quite a bit more interesting to me because it makes, um, it contextualizes a, a bunch of things that just, let's just say like leaves peppered throughout the film anyway, that you just feel like, what is this for? Like, why are, why are these nuns here? Okay. Um, and why are these nuns so weirdly sort of stereotypically brutal? Is this what nuns used just to do in general? I think they, this must be something, right? You know, but also, it fun is, little yeah. fact. <laughs> the, the movie was, I mean, the producers were just thinking like, oh, maybe the film will have, well, people will have this sort of, okay. They anticipated the backlash would come from like a religious community, from like Catholics and such. Because the movie reads spares no expense uh, castigating the Catholic Church, right? Yeah. And they just thought, well, so they initially released it in like the Midwestern America, which is more sort of Calvinist Protestant, right? So they were just like, yeah, screw them nuns, like we don't like them anyway, right? Because they thought that like all the Catholics on the on the East Coast would just like really just <laughs> shit themselves on these others, and they didn't really conceive that people would just rail against the movie because Santa's evil. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we're going to get to it in a second because that's kind of where I want to start with it. But I will just say like from my own perspective, even though like, you, you, I mean, I don't mind with horror films that you can't recognize anyone or um, like the characters are kind of disposable because it's not about that. Like from 
for me, it's first and foremost, it's about the sort of the experience, like visceral experience of just living through a horror film. That's great. And also, I really like when these when 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 these films have a little bit of a false bottom. And I think this one has it, but we're gonna get to it. <laughs> Even though I I don't think the film knows that it has one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel like it's one of those that you know, like it's yeah, it's it's not necessarily super deep. But I think it has something interesting and maybe it has something interesting to say, uh, you know, like uh, it has its own leg to stand on, like in the context of like the genre itself. But anyway, I liked it. Um, I'm actually looking forward cool. to, to looking to looking through, looking at these sequels, even though like you've just warned me. It's like, you know, like, yeah, like you watch the second one, it's like half of it is just the first one again. Yeah, you've, <laughs> you've seen half of number two already. <laughs> so, you know. So yeah, that's where I stand, and then I, I think we just have to dig into the story of the of the film in a way, like how we kind of like to call it, right? Because let's just dig into this. Like this movie came out, was panned, and pulled from cinemas on the back of being incredibly violent, disrespectful to the spirit of Christmas. Okay, and I think I want to draw your attention to one particular thing, like parent parental associations of some descriptions they were railing against this movie because and i quote they thought they would make their children fear christmas fear father christmas and santa claus okay i didn't really quote it was paraphrasing more or less because i don't have a quote in front of me i'm an idiot i'm sorry <laughs> but the point is they they thought their kids the children they wouldn't they would they would end up scarred by this film that barely received an R rating because because Santa is a killer in here. And in general, like, let's just talk about this. Like, what do you think about this? How this movie was critically received and well panned? I don't, I don't think it even begins to like cover what this how, how this movie was received. At this point, I don't even want to know what Paul and Kale thought about it. <laughs> I'm sure she loved it. But yeah, <laughs> she yeah. Really loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so how about that yeah like wh- where are we w- with the critical reception what do you think well you know if if this is a complaint that this is too violent and it's going to spoil christmas you know what for kids it's it is an r film a fairly hard r film and what would like why would kids be watching this like what year was gremlins gremlins was 84 1984 right? yeah same year so that's that's only I, I think it came out in the summer, so, right? Oh yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Um, so there's that. Christmas why, like, film again. <laughs> there shouldn't be there shouldn't be a crossover with kids. That's why the that's why the rating system, you know, existed in this way. It's not like it was somewhere between PG thirteen and R. Uh, I mean, they I, didn't have a PG thirteen then, did they? Uh, it was on the they were on the precipice of getting it, weren't they? Because I think Grem, I think Gremlins, Gremlins and, and Temple of Doom, Temple of Doom were kind of the sort of Initiates. that's it moment. Okay, yeah. we're, we've had it, right? <laughs> so, but this is where films are going, right? And it's this this thirst for content, right? Video stores are popping up everywhere, and cable TV and everything. So, uh, and you're getting cheaper productions. We talked about this when we talked about <clears throat> Space Hunter and Space Rage. So this is sort of one of those. I think that, you know, the, the money was always in the bank for this film because I think it had a really small budget. Um, but for this to, so critics first. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I honestly think critics 
they hadn't seen anything like this because, you know, mixing horror and comedy and horror and Christmas, this is, this is something new. And we've been talking about it for a few months, critics of the time. How did they react to something new? It was like, Oh, I don't want it. It's different. (laughs) (laughs) They reacted to these things the way a cat reacts to an onion. That's kind of how I always. And and you're, and you're right because that's, that's new and different. (laughs) And so what's that? I, I, <laughs> so I, I think that's the thing. Uh, so I, I think that sort of forms it. And then it's if there's also a public, uh, if there's also sort of a public outcry from parents groups, I think that that just probably fuels more critics because that's all they're going to see as well. I, I can't help but think once the the dominoes started to tip. Oh, this is violent, and this is sort of ruining. You know, Christmas, and it's you know, it's, it's, it's ruining Christmas. It's about to open up in the Christmas season. This is ruining not what we want. Christmas, but it's such a, <laughs> but it's such an easel, such easy, grinch. ridiculous, nonsensical argument. Like it's it's one film. I can appreciate if someone doesn't like it, but I think it's parent groups and you know the religious elements from the community are probably finger waving at this oh this is this is naughty and evil and rare and then critics don't know what to make of it so they're quite possibly being influenced by this type of an argument you know if you want to criticize this there's all kinds of ways you can go about it like there's all kinds of problems with it we'll get to them um so i just think that critics it's new and they don't know what to make of it so boom they just they they dismiss it and in part i think there's this other uh public response from you know uh whether it's uh, political leaders who see this type of filth evangelists who are on tv promoting you know whatever they're pitching and they're saying talking about the evils in society and parent groups you know these types of voices are chiming in on this film and how it's ruining it for kids. No, it's not because kids shouldn't be seeing it. And if kids are seeing it, I would hope that parents are sort of assessing their kids' tolerance for this type of stuff. That's why you have the ratings board to help inform parents and kids shouldn't be seeing it. So it's just sort of a stupid response from everyone. And if you want to criticize this, we'll get to that probably in whatever, half an hour. Because <laughs> it's, it's totally doable. But this here business, uh, it bothers me. It's, it's, it's just this reaction that, that isn't fair. And it's coming from people who haven't seen it. The critics may have seen it. And I think in part, they're probably latching on to another commentary that's happening in the public sphere about it. And the 80s is also a ridiculous era as well. Because um, now I don't know for sure. And I haven't dug into this. Uh, but I think it's also an era where, at least in North America, you have sensationalization of the news, possibly for commercial purposes. I don't know where Fox News popped up, mm-hmm. but everything is vilified in the news because if it leads, it's it bleeds. The that's, era. that's where this pops up. So, and I even I, no. I made some notes on this. Um, the '80s wanted us to be scared, and then I have a little bulleted list: burglars, strangers, rapists, and crazy people. Like these are things that were vilified and weren't explained. And there were things to be scared of in the eighties and they're all here. (laughs) Uh, Fox news, by the way, was launched Mm -hmm. in 1996. Okay. So 
wasn't Fox News then. So it wasn't there. So, how- someone else, though. I think it was still... Yeah, I yeah. think it was still correct. <laughs> yeah. Also, tab- yeah. tabloid news... Tabloid news as in, like, press. The press. It's kind sure, of also yeah. Forefront and, like, I remember this. growing up in the 80s, and I remember... Because I was in a fairly prudish household, I'll say, and... Were you not allowed to watch Saturday Night? Oh, I would not have been able. I would not have been allowed to watch this at all. Don't watch this because you're you're going to ruin Christmas. <laughs> but Let's watch Deliverance again. <laughs> so, but but I recall oh strangers and oh someone's a rapist and you know mm. this is and it's just this is what comes up in news stories these these stories of of straight random acts of violence random mm. acts of violence were big uh made for big stories and it took i'm gonna say 20 years for this to be debunked random acts of violence are unusual for the most part in most places of the world listen like most most like you're you're most likely to be murdered by your spouse absolutely so you know there might be some (laughs) there might be some neighborhoods where you might get mugged that type of thing exists still does but you know ultimately there was a lot of fear-mongering just in general in the news and i think that you had a lot of this is probably perpetuated by uh cop shows in the 80s you know the types of villains they're trying to track down it's just everything sort of dumbed down and, and simplified and anyway it's all in here as well but i think as part of that you've got a voice from the public you know in part evangel uh, evangelists you know going on about you know you know the Lord wouldn't want this. Like you've got that element out there in the public. You've got uh, Reagan. He's sort of got a bit of a fear mongering approach to his politics for sure. And I think also you have some economic um, at the beginning of the eighties, I want to say you have um, some tough economic times, which does lead to crime. You know, that, that is sort of a, a thing for sure. So then you've got people that are sort of dialed in and say, Oh, there's this crime and burglars are everywhere and strangers are going to hurt you and, you know, crazy people are going to break into your home and rob there you might blind. might be too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. You never know. So I, I think this, to a certain point, I don't know if I'm articulating it well, but I think this is, is the environment of the 80s, mm-hmm. I, I think, to a point. So it helps bring us what we have on screen anyway but i think it also forms the the public response and the critical response but you know like in in some way in some way i don't really get it as in like i don't get why this movie in particular gets gets really crapped on <laughs> that much because like i'm just like I'm, I'm like i'm watching this and i'm reading uh about the sort of the critical response to, to the film i'm just thinking to myself and i and i hear Tarantino on like a podcast somewhere saying like, you know, like the eighties were like, they don't like, they won't make you let you do it. You know, they won't let you do it era. Um, which, cause he laments that now we're living through the eighties again. And actually in a way he's correct. Although it's like this of, like I'm watching, like I'm reading about this. And I'm just thinking like, this is like an early example of a movie being canceled. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. Like, you know, just there's this, public pylon on this and and as a, as a result of what i can only describe as a moral panic 
<laughs> people who haven't seen it, they don't, I think they've only seen like the trailer. Like this is based on the marketing. Just this is gonna be horrible. I mean, just like watch the film. Like it's not. Well, it's not gonna make change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, uh, you know, it's not. You know. <clears throat> But what fascinates me is that, you know, like, this is, like, the 80s would be this, the time when the evangelical Christians, like, this, the sort of the conservative, the social conservative right, as in, like, the classical right-wing uh, sort of crowd of, you know, like, the church-going, Bible-thumping, uh, sort of Karens, like, concerned parents, you know? <laughs> they would be just talking about how if you listen to Judas Priest backwards... Or, or you, know, you have to just if you just listen to Judas Priest, you're probably gonna blow your brains out. You have to listen to the Queen or Led Zeppelin backwards to kind of just summon the devil or something like these. These right. would be the times when you just like remember like like playing re- vinyl records backwards. That was the sort of I think yeah. that's the same era. Absolutely, I I remember my grade seven music teacher played um, which Queen song was it? Uh, I think another one bites the dust. He was playing that backwards, like repeatedly to to get us to hear. Do you hear where it says, um, you should try marijuana? You should try marijuana. <laughs> and his point was, it's it's ridiculous, but, and I, I can never hear it. But, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, this is that era that we've got to vilify stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so silly. Like, but then again, like I, I watch this and I, I read like Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel getting, getting really militant about this. They, you know, to the point where it's just like bad filmmakers. This movie has blood on your. And it's like, what are you people talking about? And just like, and and for me, the the immediate question is, have you not lived through the seventies? Do you remember this mo- this movie called The Check- Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I think is homaged in the film mm-hmm. here as well. There's a scene with a deer <laughs> uh, yes. where this woman gets impaled on a yes. deer. It's like it's exactly like Leatherface picking up a woman and just putting her on a hook. Same yep. deal. <laughs> yep, exactly. Only in slow motion, and you get to see it. Meanwhile, Toby Hooper was a prude, and you didn't couldn't see anything. Right? Still got an axe. <laughs> uh, to his much to his surprise, by the way. <laughs> but you know, like 1970s again early west craven like watch like the hills have eyes or not, uh, last house on the left like these are like these are all like the 70s is the exploitation era where these critics who really railed against us would have probably watched all this crap like track down joe like all these like rolling thunder like all these really ultra violent films that really have these like you could even accuse them with merit or some degree of merit of of stoking divisions and, so- and societal divisions or uh, vilifying sections of the society you could mm-hmm. do all that on the back of stuff you could see in the 70s all of a sudden like midway through the 80s they're like we ha- we've had enough okay well sometimes if stuff plays out in the public sphere uh it'll take a decade for um for the narrative to sort of come out you know, from, from different sources. And I wonder if that's, that's it. It, it, you know, is in the Reagan era, you've got these other voices that have, have become prominent, you know, and I, I just keep going to the evangelists, but, um, but there are other, you know, parent groups and community groups and, you know, Reagan's administration. And, you know, it's these voices 
and a lot of them are coming to the fore because it's it's politically motivated, right? We're going to vilify some people, and this is this is clean. This is not clean. This is uh, these are good people. These are bad people. Because you need the villain. So if you can simplify things into right and wrong, clean and dirty, um, black and white, or whatever, mm-hmm. then it's 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 easy. Like in your your you're pulling people apart. So I think the narrative that's forming here around this, these agitated groups, take your family back. You know, because <laughs> I remember growing up, family values this, family values that. This is a response. This is a response to uh, civil rights movement. And this is a response to uh, things that are happening in, in the news because it plays politically. You know, mm-hmm. like I... I, I totally believe this. So so do you think the film plays politically in that regard? I think the response to it is like these 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 people in the community who have they have found their voice finally in and they're they're responding to Texas Chainsaw Massacre as much as they're responding to Silent Night Deadly Night. So do you think this is like a compounding effect like they they've Yes. It's it's kind of like a straw that broke broke the camel's back like this of the this sort of I don't know just you keep you keep it keep it down for so long and then all of a sudden like someone spills the milk in the kitchen and all of a sudden like why is dad losing his shit over spilled milk like no no but he's losing his shit over like a decade of stuff <laughs> a decade of spilled milk i i think that i i i think that's what it is and and i think that um i think you have a culture of that honestly just keep going to reagan reagan vilified the poor <clears throat> He vilified the unemployed. He vilified uh, certain uh, demographics of the the public, uh, mm-hmm. usually who are poor, but often like they might have been Latino or black or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he very Drug famously as well. Dr- yep. Uh, yep. So I remember once he famously All the good stuff he did. <laughs> think <laughs> yeah. about it. Like what a legend this guy was. Yeah. Christ. Yeah, and he pulls out a newspaper <laughs> one day. And uh, the New York Times, and he goes to the classified section. There's like 80 jobs listed there. And he says, "Look at that! People who are in the, the the homeless shelters or the unemployed lines, they could work if they want to." So all they he's doing pull is themselves by their bootstraps. So, and what he's done is now he in that in that one quip, <laughs> in in that meme, basically, what he does is he's he's formed an attitude that in North America is just it still lingers. Wow, there's a job if he wants to, right? Like everything is more dynamic than the headline of the day or the quip of the day or the political talking point of of the day. So, but I anyway, back to the film. I think the fury targeted at this is is very much based on sort of these right and wrong sentiments. And mm-hmm. you, you've got people who are, um, you know, they feel they're doing the Lord's work and they feel they're doing, they're looking out for for people and and families and family values and, and all this stuff but they're happier yelling out what they think is right and what they think is wrong rather than taking care of their own shop because what are their kids mm-hmm. doing you know anyway like there's a lot of hip- hypocrisy in in this and and i think that it was really bad in the in the 80s and uh, i think that that's what this has to do with i mean for for me there's one particularly fascinating aspect of this because in the 80s it was the uh, the evangelical right who was like really sort of um 
delicate, so a bunch of delicate snowflakes. And it's just like, if you show me violence and tits and sex, then somehow this is going to morally corrupt my family. And then, you know, we're going down. Oh my goodness. You know, like this movie has sex and boobs and and fake blood. How are we going to deal with this? Like the world's coming to an end. Praise Jesus, you know? Meanwhile, now you have the same voices being like this, like you have not the same voices, but the same arguments being made. It's like sex in films is bad. Violence, who needs violence? This is this is exploitative. Like you hear the same arguments coming from the side of the ledger, which back in the eighties would be would have been pro do whatever you want. It's fascinating to me how this. And meanwhile, the evangelical right is just like we're freedom of speech absolutists. <laughs> 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 wow, that 40 years it took <laughs> for these people to kind of just like go like Jesus. <laughs> like it's such a bizarre kind of concept. Like I don't, I don't quite get it. And but then again, I'm I'm asking myself this question: like, why are these people losing their shit? Is it because like? Because, like, I honestly would have imagined kind of like the filmmakers thing. Like, maybe these people, you know, the, the, the religious angle, as in, like, it's not even a religious angle. It's just that there are nuns who are brutal in here. Which, for me, this is just like a stereotypical yeah. nun in a film. Yes. <laughs> With a ruler <laughs> and everything. Just dishes out, like, the, you know, like, slaps and, and <laughs> beats children. <laughs> I'm Mother Superior. Slap. <laughs> just, okay. But it's not that. It's the, it's not even like it's it's the Santa Claus imagery, a dude that doesn't even like exist in any mythology of any kind. It's an invented, it's a mm. especially the like as it's depicted in the film. It's the Coca Cola. It's the, it's, it's that 1930s <laughs> Coca Cola Santa. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, I think of like, like if you if you go through the ages, like what Saint Saint Nicholas would have looked like, he was just nothing like it, like the Father Christmas. Like I, I remember when I when I was growing up, like the Santa I remember, like you know, like would come come to your like kindergarten or whatever, wouldn't look like this. It wouldn't have the red outfit. It would be like all like an. It would look like a like a bishop, like like a priest. Okay, yeah. Like would have the, like it would have a staff. Um. Uh, and it would have, yeah, it would look like a, either like a bishop or like an orthodox priest meets an imam meets a bishop. <laughs> it's very odd. Because it looked like through the ages, I think, because the guy was from like, was it Turkey? I don't know. Oh, the, the, the actual Saint Nicholas. <laughs> was I, I, famous was for, for like, I don't know, just it? like take, taking care of kids or something like, I don't know. I, yeah, so... I, I don't know. It's just like, it's weird. And all of a sudden, like 1930s, like Coca-Cola comes out with just this red outfit and everyone, like, that's it. This is the Santa we always knew. <laughs> and then it's people true. rail, like American audiences rail against the, um, the sacrilege of ruining this icon of Christmas. The, it's not the religious, it's not tied, tied to any like religious holiday or it's not tied to the, uh, like the uh, family 
side of things. Like I maybe I could maybe I could sort of un like half understand this one. Just maybe these people are afraid that this is going to ruin the foundation of the family Christmas. The idea of you know, like sharing time together and then just sing singing Christmas carols. Like no, it's about the guy who comes to your school. Children sit in his lap, which is weird. <laughs> yeah and then ruining the sort of aspect of the 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 magic that us parents we sell to our very young children that you just there's this old man who invades the house when you're not looking and leaves you shit and we're okay with this <laughs> i don't get it like this is something that i find kind of bizarre yeah yeah I, it is <laughs> but then again in this there's this sort of idea of like how here's a question for you then like how is this different from like why didn't people did people rail against halloween it's just like oh my god we need to stop this we need to stop this because children will won't, won't want to go and trick or treat <laughs> no but you know what parents groups again in the 80s there was the, this fear-mongering going on that you know, there are villains out there, people out there who are are intent on ruining your Halloween because these evil monsters are out there because they're putting razor blades in apples and they're injecting poison into hollow chocolates and all this stuff, all this nonsense. So there's this element of there's this element that's always on heightened alert, right? And they 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 just they just spout nonsense. Because something rubs them the wrong way. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, in all fairness, the closest I would I would ever get to like being that kind of a dickwad, you know, like, because I we always do like after trick or treating, I can go through people's candy to just to make sure that everything's kind of looks all right, so they didn't get get given like cocaine or anything like that, because that apparently happens. Like there's just like there's drugs in the candy. <laughs> uh, um, the closest I would ever consider getting would be just boiling a whole bunch of Brussels sprouts, covering them in chocolate, and just dish them out to kids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trick or treat. It's more of a trick. Um, no, I, I don't think I would ever do that because that would be horrible. Um, it would be a horrible human being. But now, like, this brings me to kind of this idea of like, look, this is a this is a holiday themed slasher film, right? How? Yeah clearly the holiday theme didn't go down very well at the time <laughs> how did how does it function for you as in like is this something that you could i mean because you liked it right so um who would you actually decide like ah oh, you know let's watch it at christmas you know would you, would you go as far as to watch it at christmas or is it or is this just a coincidence then you know like this i don't know but you know like what what's your sort of take on the christmas setting or the christmas spirit of the film however um you know panned it was or so like ill received at the time it was yeah i can't necessarily think of any predecessors to this other than maybe gremlins which was earlier the same year and there's one uh, film Black christmas there's one film called apparently christmas evil okay that was before was that in the 70s that or was, something yeah apparently which is um hold on let me double double check because there's this film called Christmas Evil. Um, hold on, I'll, I'll quickly just look it up. That was directed by Louis ja Jackson. 
Uh, and the plot follows a deranged man obsessed with Santa Claus who eventually goes on a murderous rampage dressed in a Santa Claus suit. And it was released in 1980, November is again. And then people didn't lose their shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't say for whatever the reason this this caught this caught the the eye. Who who distributed um, Silent Night Deadly Night? Uh, it was, was it Tristar? Tri okay, so I don't know. Maybe it had a little bit more marketing oomph. Um, it it makes sense to me, as I mentioned before, in the context of the eighties. Uh, you had. A, like for instance, Gremlins, and then we talked about um, Texas Ch Chainsaw Massacre Two. We talked about the emergence of the the Burtons and the Ramies and mm -hmm. these guys. And then over the course of over the course of the eighties, uh, you had this element of making a horror comedy or a comedy horror, like you know, fusing fusing comedy to things. And this isn't too far removed from that. It's sort of a lighthearted look at uh, a horror film. You know, so and everything on TV, every show on TV had a freaking Christmas episode. <laughs> so it's not it's not a, a too far a leap to say, oh, OK, well, let's have a, a Christmas movie, a Christmas horror film. Now, um, you know, for something like Halloween, people are probably going to be OK with it. But you know what? There's still some people who wouldn't be like there, there'd be still some people within in the 80s in the you know that evangelical. You know, I'm I'm not morally because Michael Myers is going to. Oh, that's like I'm not going to have sex because you know, like some guy might imprint on me and kill me. I don't think it's even that articulate. It's like this is a movie about killing. This is bad. So th this this was uh, a dialogue that was happening around horrors anyway. Like there there were people very much against the the Jasons and the the Freddies. Mm -hmm. But when you you set those in. Uh, sort of a, a Halloween type of spirit and you you don't put them necessarily right in the, the middle of uh, Christmas, then people didn't get their knickers in a knot. But, you know, they, they did over this. Maybe, I don't know, the, the timing was, was right. It had a little bit of a profile. I'm not really sure, but I, I think it's all these other elements. But if you think about it, like all, the, all these slasher films, like canonically speaking, right? Halloween is is kind of like a conservative nightmare as in like the other is coming to my neighborhood to kill my kids and then wh who he's killing he's killing those who have pre premarital sex yeah okay yeah so it's 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 kind of one of those sort of like these um little nightmares of the conservative parent which comes back to you know like last house on the left like we talked about this on the uh, black christmas episode which is releasing next week so Tune into that. We you know these these ideas of you know like these conservative parents being afraid of the hippies in the seventies or in the eighties. Now you have like all these Jasons and whatever, and the people would make jokes and you know like you you only survive the slasher film if you're a virgin, right? Mm -hmm. Like the scream queen has to be a virgin, like the last the last the final girl has to be a virgin, right? <clears throat> so the implication is that it's almost like a like the, the slasher functions as a, a almost like on these sort of conservative norms. So yeah, it, the slasher yeah, then, purifies the community. Like, it, yeah, it some, somehow kind of like almost reflects these Reagan esque fears of, you know, just say no and then the boogeyman won't get you. You know, that's kind of where we are. And then 
like and then all of a sudden like you said it in i mean for me this doesn't really make like it's not too much of a fuss as in like i can see that the christmas bit is more than just a setting because it's an it's an an entire premise of the film as in like i don't quite understand why okay again come comes out of nowhere because these parents are just stopped randomly it's a random act of violence there's this guy dressed as a santa claus who kills the guy's dad mm-hmm. and then sexually assaults and murders his mom uh and i think he oh yeah because like the, billy hides in the bushes so he doesn't see him right um but that's kind of that's so almost like he's hit this kid's killed by christmas and all of a sudden these he's then um, well moved to an orphanage where my note hold on i'm gonna read you my note i wrote, I wrote for myself <laughs> while watching this uh Catholic Church, it's a Catholic Church ad. Join us and we will radicalize your trauma and turn you into a sexually repressed killing machine. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine? Because they're just like, like they know what happened to this boy. And also, like he's visiting his grandpa, who just like pretends he's catatonic and he just speaks to him. Yes. Right? (laughs) Which is weird. And for a second, I thought there's going to be a twist in here, but it isn't. Right? Um, I have a take on that. Oh, do you? Oh, if, do yeah. tell. <laughs> because I sort of wondered, and this, there's no way this is the intent at all, just given the rest of the film. But maybe little Billy uh, imagines the grandfather talking to him. So it's this little hint that there's been uh, mental illness in the family all along. Actually, I like it. <laughs> I what if then? I sort of because, did too. Because nobody. Uh, witnesses the murder either. So, like, they have to take his word for it. It's like, that was Santa who killed his parents. Mm-hmm. It yep. could have been someone else. Could have been Billy. No, he's too young. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, so there's but but so there's this idea that, you know, like, all of a sudden, like, you, you said this. Um, it's not necessarily that you just said it at Christmas. I mean, it's said at Christmas because, you know, well, it is. That's the gimmick. Um, that's the gimmick. <laughs> But the idea is that you kind of bring Christmas into the fold, you know, because like in Halloween, I suppose maybe this is why these evangelical Protestant sort of like parent groups go like, oh my God, you're ruining Coca-Cola Christmas, you know, uh, because you're actually bringing the cr- the Christmas um, iconography into the villain. Like it's not like in Halloween that you have, like Michael Myers is not... Mm, is is yeah. not itself an icon of the holiday, right? Yeah, true. Uh, maybe that's why why it stands out. But still, that was still somewhat the gimmick for Christmas Evil. I still I still think it's just it was sort of bad luck that uh, Silent mm-hmm. Night Deadly Night got this attention. It could very well have been a, a different film. Mm-hmm. What what? By the way, what what do you think about Billy? As in, like the idea of of this um, hero slash villain that you're observing, as opposed to like we don't have you know like Laurie Strode, uh, who's the final girl, and there's the villain who's after her. Like you're shadowing a maniac. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's he's sort of interesting, and I think there's possibly a conversation to have here about this character i don't Mm -hmm. think 
the film knows how to have the conversation. So it's dropping it in our laps to, uh, you know, take the baton and run with it. Well, let's do it then. Yeah. So, but there could be something here of interest in terms of this is a child that has grown up with this trauma, this very, very serious trauma, and he's living with it and he's struggling with it. Um, And then, so this is a a PTSD of, of sorts. And then it, it, it sets him off and turns him into an antagonist. It turns him into the villain. So it, on a narrative level, it, it makes the film a little bit hard to follow because I'm actually following this child, have a little bit of, you know, care and sympathy for this child and what he's going through. So I'm piggybacking his story, but then he turns into the villain. So if the film had done something interesting, like pointing to, you know, what trauma can do um, or how trauma can, you know, uh, come back in later lives, if there was, if there was a fleshed out conversation about the trauma and this, this child's transition to, you know, the, the monster, that could be, that could be interesting. I I don't think this film knows how to have that conversation. It's in there. um, And it's very, it's very curious. I think in a way that's a bit of a problem, but by the time that uh, little Billy is set off by having to wear a Santa costume himself, I think it's, it's clearly in, fun slasher mode and i'm certainly honestly i'm enjoying the film on on that level um even though like i acknowledge there's a conversation in here the film could have had could have had like a missed opportunity uh as a as opposed to something it tried to have and then sort of flummoxed i don't think it's that i think it's that it just didn't really know how to have the conversation but it's, Mm -hmm. it's really peculiar like you know you spend time with a child like a child you know like this is this is a character you get used to in the 80s following and you know he's mm-hmm. sort of the the it's hero a good amount of time as well it's like yeah a half hour with with yeah. this kid yeah no exactly and i sort of like the whatever the 10 year old billy i think he was sort of an interesting little child oh, actor. Did you? oh he's coming back he's coming back is he i didn't i didn't mind it yes mother <laughs> superior i didn't mind him i thought he was a good little placeholder for you know what i should be feeling in the in the moment but um but yeah, it's really peculiar. Like there's these, this transformation. And also you get this one brief, uh, I'll call it a daydream where he's, uh, you know, imagining him sleeping with the coworker. And uh, so you've got this one instance where, you know, oh, he's horny, but like, that's not really well developed. Is that supposed to be a, a thing that's, what's sex that's doing the here? Eight, that's the 80s thing. That's Friday the 13th. Right. That's that's exactly right. This is the filmmakers are just doing what they Conserve see everyone else doing. So, so that these these things that come up that I don't know is that a character thing? Feels like it could be. Feels like it should be. But no, it isn't. It's just what everyone else is is doing. It, it, it's the Friday the Thirteenth or other slashers. Uh, it kind are, of feels like a this. sequel to a film that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, this kind of had this sort of energy of like a. Like a Friday the 13th, like part three or four, like with Corey Feldman. (laughs) An awkward cousin who lives up north to Friday the 13th. Yeah, because it kind of looks like, (laughs) imagine this movie starts with the villain of the first film who got away from like Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Mm -hmm. In a Santa outfit, stops a car, murders a family and, you know, like, and whatever. And he imprints on this kid and this kid grows up with this trauma. Uh, Not in... In any way, shape, or form, held by the nuns who decided just like sit on Santa's lap, just sit still. I'm just wow. 
And he goes, I don't want to. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it feels like a sequel where this guy is kind of imprinting on, uh, this kid is imprinting on a killer and then just by virtue of this sort of um, trans, um, this, yeah, the transposition of trauma, he kind of inherits it, enacts it, and then passes it along to his little brother. Spoiler alert for the film. But it's not a, it's not what happens. It's about how you know uh, how the movie goes about tickling your uh, your balls like Kansaiko. You know, yeah, it's about the splatter along the way. <laughs> exactly. It's you know, it's how the movie kind of gets you gets you going. And I feel like this, yeah, it, it, it's interesting that way, doesn't it? Doesn't it actually look like a you yeah, know, like, could, a, like a specimen of some description. Like it's, yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that. Like in, in a sense too, like the, the 80s slasher film uh, wanted to have a Pinhead or a Jason or a Freddy or a Mike Myers or whomever. Um, let's, have, let's have Santa. Let's do it with Santa. Like that's the concept. That's that's what it, that's what it all boils the, uh, down right, to. Right wingers go like... <laughs> Not on my watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's what this is. And, uh, you know, whatever. Like, uh, goodness, people, get your heads out of your asses. Like, it's just it's just a film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, you know. Like, and if, and like, yes, this, ki- this could ruin your kid's Christmas, but your eight-year-old should not be watching this. So get your own house in order. Like, think about it. These, these people had absolutely no qualms with a, a movie suggesting that if you go to Texas, the rednecks will eat you. That's fine. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like, don't you dare go after Father Christmas. <laughs> don't. The, the, the line shall be drawn here, this far, <laughs> no further. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. Like you know, but you know, like do you, do you feel like it's an it's an interesting sort of take on um, because you know we don't have a like a female like we don't have the final girl we don't have Laurie Strode we don't have um, like a bunch of teenagers. I mean, we do have a bunch of teenagers, but they're almost like these vignettes. Oh, just, I th- yeah, yeah, I th- I think it's a it's sort of a fascinating setup, and I I think that maybe even a bit of a mistake like in this sense it's it's got the idea of you know getting the killer but how do we get the killer well the killer is actually the kid it's that's a weird dynamic to me but we don't have the final girl because we don't have any girls because we're not following a group of potential victims from the first minute of the film we're following little billy as the potential victim of the film but mm-hmm. it's so weird that he turns into uh the predator like it's it's so bizarre. So then it just, yeah, it turns into vignettes because that's all you got because we, we haven't been following a group. Mm-hmm. So there, there's not going to be a last girl here. Like I find this bizarre and maybe someone could pick, someone could pick it apart on this basis and just saying like, who are we following? There's, there's no point to this. It's all random. I could get behind that criticism at this point. I think, like I said, it's about the splatter. So it's, it's sort of interesting enough. It's about the gimmick and the gimmick is, is working well enough for me here. So mm-hmm. I don't mind it, but it is, it is an anomaly, I think, in just in this, you know, this horror subgenre. But then again, just because it is an anomaly, I, I actually think it's interesting. 
Like I like sure. I know people can you could you could take it upon and say like oh who are we following why am I who, am I supposed to root for this guy? I know you're not, um, because I think this is again like uh, it's an interesting specimen because it almost subverts the template like because it's not like it's unlike Friday the Thirteenth unlike a nightmare on elm street which mm-hmm. it's shared its release date with right unlike halloween black christmas even has this of there's this you know a group of girls a glaring of girls <laughs> a clouder <laughs> um i don't know what's a collective noun for girls but this is where it misses a chatter, the opportunity a chatter a ch- of a girls chatter of- <laughs> this is where the film though i think it misses an opportunity because in the sense that it is subverting uh, the subgenre and it is doing sort of its own unique thing, it could maybe have turned this into a, a discussion on the trauma, right? Because this is sort of the, this is sort of the, the, the thing, this is the thing in the middle that, that causes the turn. Um, and it's just sort of there. So I think there's a bit of a missed opportunity into making it a little bit richer because it, it could be, it is an anomaly, but I think it could be a little bit more interesting if it were thought through. <laughs> Here's a hot take. I think it makes more more, more of an interesting conversation about the nature of evil or whether evil's uh, heritable or evil's um, something that's innate in us or something that's um, environmental than the ninth configuration did. <laughs> uh, I would do that. And I would also even throw out that my my possible take that the the grandfather was always catatonic and little Billy imagined him coming to life. That mm-hmm. would even support that and make it a wee bit more interesting because maybe little Billy was always damaged goods. He always had this problem and his grandfather mm-hmm. always had the problem and he was in the home. So um, you could maybe even, you know, draw lines to genetically where evil comes from or the mental health, <laughs> the mental health angle. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's, it's there. It's it's there for the picking. I don't think that uh oh what's our director's name? Cellier. Is it Cellier? Cellier? Charles Cellier or Cellier, yeah. So I Junior. I, I don't think that this is this is on his radar, but it was probably this film was within a hair of being that much better. Like, like, like yeah, exactly. Substantive. <laughs> like you really have to I mean, this is apologies to anyone like who I mean, I'm you know I'm not gonna apologize to critics because if someone calls themselves like a real critic, like I like you really just lose a lot of stock in my eyes. But you know, <laughs> but but you know, just it's what it is. Sorry, ombre. But you know, like I know, let's just say professional critics try not to read into things, but I find this fascinating because. But you do have to read like lean into this. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like I think we 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 said it earlier that there's these things that are sort of thrown out on the table, maybe thematically that the film doesn't really want to get into and it sort of left it for us to do, but I feel we've been doing that for the last couple of months, going back to high flying bird. And <laughs> well, we'll unpack we, this. Okay, we'll get into been, this. We've been doing this for, I want to say a good few years, actually. <laughs> True. Least, I can say for myself, you know, like this is kind of like what I like about this, this idea of like talking about films because, you know, just, just commenting on the aesthetics. I'm just like, I like the performance. Oh, I think, I think the cinematography is dog shit. I mean, for me, this is, this is a boring conversation. Like I like, like I, I want to dig into this and then just like, I find these weird connections that make this film a little bit more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, I had this, 
feeling that I know this premise from somewhere. This idea of this damaged, traumatized sort of kid growing up to become a killer. You know what this is? Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah. This is exactly the the plot of Rob Zombie's Halloween. Like something happens to this. I mean, I think this this kid was. I think the assumption was like you know, like this kid was just a sociopath, right? He was just, and he just <clears throat> matured into into what he became, right? Also, Billy is massive, and he has this scene where he strangles a guy with one hand, like lifts mm-hmm. him up, and he and he and he, and he actually hangs him on a. On Christmas lights. I mean, just, I mean, yep. it's like, you know, it's immense upper body strength. You know, like your shoulders are made of steel. Yep. And that's a convention, the superhuman element to the, to the mm-hmm. villain. Yeah. Yeah. But then I just, I'm looking at this, like, is this a movie that maybe potentially like someone like Rob Zombie, who's really into horror as well, like he would consciously pick up as in like, I like this idea of like taking a villain and just looking at him when he was a kid. I would doubt it. I, because I just going back to my recollection of Rob Zombie's Halloween, I think it, that's just more of what would what would Mike Myers look like as a child, and and just sort of uh, going back on the timeline through Mike Myers' history to when he was a kid. I think that's more of that as opposed to oh, there's this other template out there, the Silent Night, Deadly Night. Um, but but who knows? But you know, yeah, it's a good comp. Um, but if you, I okay, doubt, if you, if- I doubt Zombie goes to it. Uh, so if you if we kind of okay disengage Rob Zombie connection, which comes like twenty odd years later, right? But if you just come back to just the film itself and then how these people are just trying to cash in on certain things and they try to um, maybe look up to like John Carpenter or uh, Bob Clark and whatever, mm-hmm. right? They would probably say like, well, what if? Because like one of the big gimmicks of Halloween, one of my favorite films of all time anyway, was that you don't really know who Michael Myers is. Like you know that he used to be a kid, he killed his sister, um, but you don't really know. Like and there's like Donald Pleasance really like leaning into this as well. And he goes like he, like I saw him like looking out the window waiting for this day. Like what? (laughs) Like he's like he's deranged, right? But then the question is like, what if we just got to sit with him for longer than just half a second? And got got to see what um, is if there's something that could trigger certain um, actions out of him, like because he doesn't um, like he's he's deranged, he's damaged, but he only uh, like he falls off the wagon after he's for- forced by his by the sort of like toy shop. A guru, his his you know his employer to like wear wear a, a Santa outfit, and he goes like, instead of saying, "No, I don't feel comfortable wearing a Santa outfit, thanks, I'd rather lose this job," he goes, "Fine," and then and <laughs> and and loses his marbles because he sees this guy uh, making out with his, with this girl he fancies, right? That's kind of the gimmick, right? And he just yeah. loses his shit. That's it. As you as but you're then, talking, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that the connection that I'm wondering about, about the damaged goods kid. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that leans into sort of the J horror because a lot of Japan horror, I'm thinking like dark water and the ring mm-hmm. and uh, is the grudge sort of a creepy kid? I forget. Yeah. Yeah. But they're all they're, creepy kids. They're all, and they're, but they're all kind of like these goats, like these, these sort of um, 
like yeah. murdered kids and dropped into a well. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, they're all, and they're usually girls too. But what's, the name? what's her name? Sadako. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, it's interesting because in the eighties there isn't much for scary kids. Maybe the, the well, twins Jason, in the Shining. Jason was the sort of tormented kid that was because mm-hmm. he was like de- he was like deformed kid that kids were making fun of and they drowned him. Right, 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 right. And at the end of the first one, he comes out of the water and kills whoever was left. Uh, that's kind of how, yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, this this yeah. film could be a node in sort of the developing the scary kid thing, you mm-hmm. know, along with The Shining and along with a couple backstories from other characters along the way. I mean, I suppose that, yeah, there's also a conversation. It's like, because kids are weird, specifically... <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know, because kids have these sort of vivid imaginations as well. Like, you, you'll see your own kid, like, when they're, like, I don't know, like, five, six, they'll just be playing with her, with their, like, imaginary friend, for instance. Like, because they will just, like, well, when they're all by, by themselves, for instance, and they'll just decide that they need a tea party with a teddy bear and a doll, right? So they will just, like, I don't know, play roles, and they will just, like, actively imagine there is just... And then you think to yourself, actually, is she speaking to someone? <laughs> yeah. she, is she deranged oh, she's yeah not, she's just being my, a child <laughs> my son campbell who's been on the show when he was young shout out to campbell <laughs> hey campbell he would I'm every, come. <laughs> brutal shout out to campbell anyway uh, uh, i started drinking at 6 a.m also <laughs> not the greatest but anyway campbell would periodically in his he would wake up. He wouldn't wake up. He would just start screaming demonically, in oh. <laughs> you know, blah, blah. like just just is there, a, is there a doctor around? Exactly, brutal, brutal, <laughs> brutal. And there was this one time we had a friend over and we were playing video games, and then from the bedroom we hear this, blah, blah. and our friend he went white and just, oh my god, what was that? Because oh, it's just Campbell. So I mean, yeah, I and mean, this is a follow-up. This needs a follow-up <laughs> questions. Like, does does Campbell have like an imaginary friend? Oh yeah, yeah. How does he communicate with him? We bought him a Ouija board. <laughs> What's his name? Captain Howdy. <laughs> None of this is true. None of- <laughs> and you're just like everyone's just like we think this is totally healthy, cool, and normal. <laughs> Actually, we had we had him we had him tested. No lesions on anything. He's just like <laughs> he he says his bed shakes. <laughs> Lot. <laughs> ah, he's fine he's fine but you he's know what fine. all <laughs> all the creepy girls go back to the exorcist so never mind they do they yeah yeah they yeah. do yeah but yeah but it, but even but here like for for my money and i i'm pretty sure i'm co- i'm correcting this this movie does not have the ambition to like like these people who made this they didn't set out to subvert the template the to Ooh, upset the status quo they just wanted to like I think their honest opinion was like, let's make a fun movie where we have where we dress Michael Myers in a Santa outfit. That's kind of <laughs> where that's, they're coming from. That's all this is. Yeah, uh, mm. absolutely. Like, I think it's very, um, you know, earnest, non-cynical <laughs> type of approach yeah. they have. Let's just sort of do this, and uh, I think they're having a bit of fun too, and more 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 power to them. It just sort of went off the rails in terms of the messaging and how it landed. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know. So you you think about this. Like this is again for me. This is interesting because I like when 
sometimes people will just accidentally tap into something interesting. They will just waltz around interesting subjects without necessarily knowing what they're doing. And they will just leave it behind. Um, a fun story is that people who watched it, they didn't even care to notice because they were too busy obsessing over how much this movie ruins Christmas for them. <laughs> but, but you know, like, I feel this is an interesting note as well. Like, when, when you think about, like, this, does this, like, would you actually extend um, some kind of um, line to, into the future? As in, like, how do, does this movie actually radiate some kind of influence into the future? I think in so far that if it was infamous in its release and it's one of the handful of early films to fuse the holiday spirit with a horror film, you know, Black Christmas and uh, what was, uh, Christmas Evil, that one. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a very small, small number of them. So in that sense, yeah, I, I think it that's, that's how it... Uh, that's how this node sort of leads into, you know, fu- future future films. Uh, just that 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 fusion of the iconography, because that's something the '80s is sorting out as well, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, just the horror and the comedy, but also the the marketing and the iconography, and even I want to say niche marketing, because in the '80s, sorry, the '70s and niche marketing would be well you're going to make exploitation films you're going to make black black exploitation films for certain neighborhoods and you might have some latino exploitation films for other neighborhoods uh, but mostly in north america you had the hollywood system was sort of spitting out things for the masses and then i think you get this um more niche marketing or at least segmenting of the market in the 80s you know, we even referred to it earlier. Well, we need a PG-13 because it's not for all age groups and mm-hmm. it's definitely not for this young. Like there's an intermediary group here. So mm-hmm. I think that this is happening uh, in, in the 80s quite a bit uh, as as well. So I forget where I was going with that, but I'll just I'll leave it there. Like you should probably just sometimes like, give me like a sign. Like I'm just like I'm rambling into oblivion, so I can just like drop this. <laughs> right, right. We have that. We have that saver now. I'll try to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, so. Oh, in ter- I remember. So in terms of how this was leading into the You're future, <laughs> got there. Um, yeah. So this this film is is trying a gimmick, and I think this film understands that it's not for everyone but you know critics are looking at it well this is a mass release right so i and i think too the the reason we have a lot of films that are reappraised or they become cult classics later is because the certain films are for this group of people there are certain goth people that would love this there are certain sort of why would they love this <laughs> I'm so so. This is me asking in a very roundabout way, trying to kind of just ask a leading question: Is this like what is this sort of movie's appeal to kind of make it a cult classic? Right? As in like this is because it kind of lives to this day. I think people are 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 drawn to to gimmicks, and I think the gimmick here works perfectly fine. It's mm-hmm. let's take something entirely wholesome, Santa. Let's turn him into a killer. You know, like this, this is, I think this is creepy. Like he comes into your house. Uh, there's no way you can actually avoid him. 
He still is going to find his way. He leaves shit around. <laughs> but he is a wholesome image. I hear what you're saying, but... Also, but see, like, he, like you it, just get to like pretend gift. that this... Like you, you, you hire old... No, like middle-aged men and put, put them in Santa outfits, put them in malls and have children sit in their lap. Gross. <laughs> oh. It oh it's 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 a it's a flawed premise no question. <laughs> I see like I see you just like weirdly defensive about this now. Oh goodness, this is. Uh, uh, yeah no like I, yeah I I hear that but why why would this why would this appeal to certain people because some people like like counter programming right. This is sort of off the wall because it has the gimmick. The, the gimmick is an, has an appeal to it because <clears throat> it's there's there's a freshness to it, right? So like you have yeah. a whole subgenre. It's it's the subgenre of um, what was a Violent Night that came out last year. Sort of similar idea in a way. Krampus, like this whole horror Christmas thing, will appeal to some people just because it is uh, sort of a mishmash. It's a mashup of these known elements from different genres and, and people people gravitate towards that because it feels fresh although at a certain point maybe it's not but then some people will identify with oh well this is this is not the ordinary this is counter programming to the ordinary so i gravitate towards this because mm-hmm. i don't want to be <clears throat> conventional like, like people just sort of have these things that they that they like that they enjoy and so I think that this ends up being something that appeals to people. And I think that there's a mass appeal for this type of things. I forget where we talked about this. Maybe it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Like there's something now, I don't know how popular they were because they might've had their run, uh, Monster High Girls. It's, it's like Barbies that are like zombie characters, only they're dressed. It's mm-hmm. like a it's like a fusion of uh, zombie and high school musical or <laughs> we're going to cover in Anna and the Apocalypse. But it's these zombie oh, dolls. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's these zombie dolls. And, you know, they, they were fairly popular, I think, for, for a few years. But it's a mashup of concepts. So mm-hmm. uh, gimmicks work, right? Like Because, oh, that's something from this world and this world, and we put them together. You know, is what it, you know, is what it is. So, you know, you'll have groups that gravitate towards this. So... On top of the gimmick, do you think there's anything like memorable about the film? Because at least for, for my money, like when it comes to a cult appeal for horror films, a lot of it has to do with like violence or um, certain elements of the film that you that people would um, like look they would actually anticipate while re-watching this for the umpteenth time or during like a midnight screening they would just like they would, they would recite lines together with the characters you know they would they would make up one-liners from from lines that you just always like disregard um <laughs> but you know like is, is there something in here like like in, because first and foremost like the movie was banned in a bunch of countries i think like it wasn't like as i said like it was refused like bbc refused to rate it right because it was too violent so is the violence memorable in here like is this a part of a cult appeal what do you think about this this sort of like well is it is it actually violent really (laughs) that's first question yeah it's it's violent and if there's if there's something someone could object to in here it's probably there was there was 
what I would say is a sexual a, violence, I suppose. A casual rape culture that <laughs> it's the eighties. Yes, yes, it was vilified yeah. as in, but it was vilified in a sense as that's not nice, that's naughty. Uh and quite here to It's just the casual way in which they just go into sexual violence almost as a default. Yeah. Right. <laughs> which is we're just like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So I mean, yes. and there's a lot of sex and nudity. Just well, let's just say consensual sex and nudity as well, sure. which is just peppered throughout here and there. I suppose yeah. is this part yeah. of the cult, a cult appeal? Because there's a lot of breasts. Uh, probably not. That's probably just the genre. Maybe the expectation of it. In terms of something you can point to, I would say being pulled over by this Santa at the opening. That is part the gimmick and part the the violence. <laughs> um. Maybe the the antler scene. There are a few moments that you know stand out, sort of as a, as a slasher. When he does lose his marbles and he he goes in the toy store killing spree, mm-hmm. yeah, that's sort that's of fun in its, time. <laughs> in its own right. But but for me, sort of what is at the middle of it that's that's really sort of interesting that makes it stand out is probably the attempt at telling the story of how trauma impacts someone in their adulthood. This mm-hmm. transfer from uh, protagonist to an- <coughs> antagonist. <coughs> Excuse me. Go ahead. You all right? <laughs> yep. So, please stand by. <laughs> there we go. <coughs> I think I'm good. So, so yeah, that that piece stands out as as something unique. I think it's sort of gummed up. I don't really think the filmmakers have the intention of exploring that. Um, we are, and it's sort of fun. And like you say, the, the filmmakers stumble into it. Um, so, but it is here, and it's sort of interesting. And that's something that I would give it a bit of credit, accidental credit for. I mean, in in because I'm just asking myself this question is this movie playful with its violence because like some horrors are playful like Freddy films are playful uh like late later sequels and like Friday the 13th for Halloween series they tend to be playful in that sense like they, I wouldn't say this is and it's I suppose that makes it weird maybe that kind of explains why like, be, like these sort of sensors and BBFC would be just like I don't know how to deal with this because if you really read into what's happening on the screen in these violent scenes, you're almost asking the viewer to validate and affirm what's happening because you're hanging onto the, onto the guy's shoulder. Who's a villain. I mean, Mm -hmm. who's somehow uh, he's like this tragic operatic hero because he's, (laughs) he's the sort of deranged kid that you somehow feel attached to because it's not his fault. Unless you apply your and your read reading over the top of this, in which case he's just a sociopath. He is delusional. He's he's been delusional this whole time. He may even have killed his parents himself. And imagine, and then what you're seeing is just how he imagined the Santa scene. Just now, he he just killed his dad and mom in the car, and that's, that's what happened. Um, but then, like when you think about these kill scenes, he. He essentially does the sort of like he takes to the extreme the sort of the naughty or nice. Uh, if you've been naughty, then you get the axe or an antler or you get decapitated. Like he, like there are these bullies who take people's sleds. Oh yeah, and they yeah. get decapitated. Or there's yeah, there's this 
there's this couple who are about to have sex on top of a pool table, just like the worst place to have sex, because it's flat and very, very, very hard. Yeah, no give. <laughs> like, you, know, like, you think about it, like spring mattresses. <laughs> but then again, teenagers are weird. They don't have sex anywhere. Um, but where was I? <laughs> but yeah, so I'm just thinking like the violence is kind of like an interesting gimmick because in in a way he's like this this villain is trying to kind of just he's he's judging people. <laughs> it's like have you been naughty? Yeah. Axe, and then he he has this interaction with this little girl. He gives her a knife. Oh, have you been nice? I've been nice. You get the Stanley knife. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you get a box cutter because <laughs> yeah. he has exactly. no other gift to give. Um, you know, and I sort of like that that moment, right? Like because he he it is it is sort of his uh, thesis that one, you know one way or the other. Okay, so you've been naughty, really. Mm-hmm. You've been good, really, all year. You've been good. Yep. Okay, so you get a gift. So, but I, I don't. I don't necessarily think that uh, Cellier nails the tone. Like he's just sort of going. He's just going through the way it is, probably in the script. Um, so because he's not a playful character. So uh, yeah, that that notion. So you can I think. easily. So you can easily read into this and just think like, oh, are we taking this seriously? Oh, I think the filmmakers are, and I, th- I think that to, to a point. Like I don't think they are. I think I think they oh. are playful because they're having fun. It's just they don't know what they're having fun with because what they what they're focused on is the Santa outfit and the axe, not necessarily what they're projecting. Yeah, like yes, like the gimmick is playful, but I think the, I think the film goes about its business with a fairly serious, fairly serious tone. Mm-hmm. Would have been way better if he came back to the orphanage and just killed all these nuns, which he almost <laughs> yeah, did. Almost did. But you know, like the the nuns win, okay? Which is a very for me, like the real villains are the nuns because they essentially just like they nursed his derangement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they they have these Rorschach tests, and but they still just like sit in the Santa's lap. I don't wanna, and he punches the Santa as well. Yes, as a kid. <laughs> yes. Uh, Great left hook. <laughs> <Got exactly. to say. laughs> From a nine-year-old yeah. or something. Like, jeez. Launch uh, Santa yeah, so off his seat. Yeah, so in a way, it's kind of like a Buñuel film because like Buñuel famously hated the church. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just like this. Like, church will do shit to you and just look, they will t- turn you into a Santa a Santa wielding an axe and then you'll, and then you'll still feel sorry for these nuns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of running out of things to say. So, I don't know. Do you have anything else that you want to bring to the table? Oh, no. I, yeah, I think we've <laughs> done think it. About the uh, music. Oh, the, trying to remember. <laughs> trying to remember. It seems to me it was effective, not necessarily notable. Did you find anything notable? It seems to um, me, shoot, I might have. This because this is like the sort of synth, uh, very sort of busy and like almost annoying sort of music, um, which reminded me of the score to Child's Play a little bit. Okay, but apparently, like the gimmick was like the guy who scored it. He saw he he composed this music while watching a finished film on Betamax. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) yeah, Um, it it just seems simple, effective enough. Like, 
again, as if there wasn't a whole lot of money for each of the departments. Anyway, so uh, one final thing I may have, and this is almost out of curiosity from from my end because I haven't seen the sequels. Like having watched the, just the first film and say, like, imagine that you haven't seen the sequels. Like, is there's, but but imagine, okay, I don't, I haven't seen the sequels. You have, um. Does this film actually, you know, like sustain a franchise? Like, would you imagine having watched this that the the, the so, oh shit, I need more, like, and I can I can totally see where they're gonna go with it. And it's totally gonna work. Is there a, is there a, is there a natural organic franchise in here, or has this been like tacked onto it? Oh, it's 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 a it's completely a tack on. Just if I only see this, do I naturally see where a franchise could go? You know what? Honestly, I think you could do a franchise just with another killer Santa. <clears throat> you know, it's not. Oh, really, they would really... have to imagine that there's some kind of a re- ritual or a reverse exorcism, or like the beard is cursed or something. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to me, that the 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 gimmick I think is the big thing in here, and it's the it's the violent Santa is what it is. It's the serial killer Santa. And, and you can, you can find any number of ways to do that. Now that the second film, having just watched it, it launches off of this actually sort of launches off the, the final moments in here because the younger brother ends up being the villain in the next two. Mm-hmm. So, so That's yeah, it is. <laughs> is what it is. So he was, he was traumatized as well. So, you know, they've keep it in the family type of connection, but yeah, like silent night, deadly night. It's it, like the gimmick is in the title. The gimmick is in the serial killer, Santa. So yeah, I, I think it's easy enough to launch a franchise off of this, but the lore isn't rich. Mm-hmm. They, they try to make it rich in the sequels by just sort of using it over and over. Yeah. Uh, because like the danger is that you know like the franchise will just naturally occur because this is what happens to horror films in the eighties. Mm-hmm. They will just spawn sequels because you know it's easy money. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, how could it be could it be easy money when this film didn't really get to have a footprint because it was pulled because it it wasn't not it wasn't famous it was not notorious, right? I would speculate that <clears throat> it probably had a successful life on video. All right. Okay. I mean. Yeah, well, it, it was a while though. I mean, when was the uh, sequel released? Seven, maybe. Few, All right, so okay. Not too long. Not too long after. Yeah, so that's kind of w- w- where I am at least. Like I'm out out of notes. So unless there's anything else that we want to uh, bring to the table, we might as well just go through our scores. Is it an uncut gem? Do you think it is? I think it's one of those that's probably it's not as immediately obvious, is it? <laughs> it's. That's a good way to put it. it. Is it is not immediately obvious, but I think it is. I think it's it's worth checking out. It's flawed. It's sort of sloppy. I think the the filmmakers are just going about their business. They're honoring the gimmick. Um, I, but I think if you look at it, there's there's something interesting. Even if the filmmakers don't really explore it or know what to do with it, there's something interesting with the protagonist turning into the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Now you say it's something cool. It's it's interesting. I don't know. It's it doesn't does it work? Does it not work? I don't know. For me, by this point, the film has taken on its all the slasher uh, traits and it's 
working fine. Uh, so yeah, it, it chugs along is what it is. And, uh, yeah, it's worth, it's worth checking out, especially, especially if you're a bit of a horror fan, for sure. It's worth checking out. How many out of five? Oh, sorry. Three out of five. Three out of five. Okay. I want to say, you know, it's one of those that I I think I'm going to say it is an uncut gem. Okay, it's one of those that, like, it's not a perfect film. It's not like, oh, it's a masterpiece that everyone's sleeping on. Oh my goodness, I hate this phrase. You're sleeping on this movie. No, no, you're not. Like, you can you can live your life having not seen this and you'll be fine. But if you choose to lean into things and read into this movie, you can actually find that this is, you know, it has some meat on the bone. And I find it, it, it once it gets going, it really goes nuts. And I actually kind of enjoy that <laughs> in a way. Even though, but then again, you kind of have to like detach yourself culturally from this and just like, like live in the world of this is just a movie, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm not going to let it dictate my life. And because otherwise I would probably just think like this movie is dangerous. It has blood on its hands. I know sound like Gene Sisko, which is not the look I want to project. Okay. So I will say I'm giving it three and a half out of five. Definitely going to come back to it one day maybe i'll even buy it on blu-ray um well settle down yeah especially it's quite, <laughs> quite expensive because it's like 16.99 it has a poster in it though uh but, I'm, but yeah but i'm gonna say like yeah i like it I li- yeah it's a it's a fun film that's not necessarily fun to watch because it's not playful but it's but it's an interesting sort of specimen and i really like that so three and a half out of five Definitely, I'm going to put it in, in the Uncut Gem category. So, <clears throat> with that, let's just quickly go through our tops and bottoms and then see ourselves out. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. So, for my top list, uh, I've got a few here. I, so the man, manager Sims, manager of the toy mm-hmm. store, when the, uh, the business day ends on Christmas Eve and he oh, locks no, the no. door. Oh, <laughs> I know. It's over. Time to get shit faced. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hilarious. Hilarious. And uh, no truer words were ever spoken when it comes to, you know, retail in the Christmas season. So there's there's a lot of truth in that statement. Um, number two, mentioned this a few minutes ago, little Billy punches Santa with an amazing left hook at the orphanage, <laughs> flattens him, and Santa flies off his chair. I thought, <laughs> thought that was good. Um, I'll throw in an extra. I sort of like the bow and arrow death where this mm-hmm. lady is about to escape the store and uh, Billy pulls from the sporting goods rack a bow and arrow and shoots her. I think you'd spare her, but you know. Mm-mm. Nope, he was, he was yeah, because mm. she wasn't naughty. We didn't really get her judgment. Anyway, yeah. she must have been naughty. Um, and number one, I sort of like the grandpa wakes up scene. You know, <laughs> Santa punishes the naughty. It sets everything up. Uh, and I sort of like my take. It's sort of an entertaining look. If, if I see it as he didn't really wake up, this is just Billy's delusion, even as a four-year-old, uh, is usable for me in, in how I go through this. So I you know, sort this of is like a, an essay waiting to happen, or at least a haiku. There, yeah, yeah, exactly. One stands a poem, maybe. Uh, yeah, so those are mine. What about you? What are your tops? Oh, I've got Billy. What's wrong? Your brother's a nutcase. That's what's wrong. <laughs> <It's just laughs> children 
This uh, is child banter in the uh, in the yard of the orphanage. <laughs> yeah, um, I've got Billy punching Santa in the face and just Goodness. knocking him off his off his feet. <laughs> what a guy! Um, and I've got Dear Impalement. Mm-hmm. Really protracted scene, and just like I like the, how it kind of connects to the uh, um, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So mm-hmm. I really like the Deer Impalement scene because it you can see they they really enjoyed the process because the special effects are out uh, are up there. And actually, on top on on the special effects, I would say like the decapitated sort of sled, like the head really mm-hmm. looks really good. I want to say so. These yeah. are the sort of three and a half of mine. <laughs> okay, um, now bottoms. Cool. All right. Um, but I have a bottom that dangles off of the antler hanging because I really like the antler hanging myself. Um, but the dude, the boyfriend, walks into the room. And doesn't see her. And he's standing right beside her in a fully lit room and he doesn't see her. I'm like, what? <laughs> dude, you're not selling me on this. <laughs> like, she's Especially right she's there. Talk- Especially that she's topless, he, he he should have naturally gravitated. Like, oh, oh, totally oh. should have, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so there's that. Anyway, um, yeah, number four. I've got four. Billy's hairy butt is an image I did not need to see <laughs> at all. Uh, yeah. All of these, ki- I do have to say, like with these sort of close-ups of him, um, like gutting people like this sort of knife into a, into a stomach mm-hmm. and just like really well done yeah i would agree with forget that. the hairy ass but <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we didn't need to see uh billy's hairy butt um oh and the nun shows up at a toy store after the toy store closes on christmas eve to check on billy that seems like a weird conceit because if she's a nun working at an orphanage on Christmas Eve, doesn't she have something religious or childcare related to be working on? It just seems weird. Um, I mentioned this sort of the casual rape culture of the eighties mm-hmm. and number one. Um, yeah. The missed opportunity that goes along with the discussion on turning protagonist to antagonist. There, there could have been something in there that made a point or a comment or illustrated uh, more clearly uh, the idea of trauma and how it impacts people. It just, this this film was really close to being uh, special and it, we had to do the picking and we found some good stuff, but the the film itself missed it. Right. I I had the seven o'clock it's over time to get shit faced moment (laughs) because it's kind of stupid and almost kind of out of place, but I'm going to leave it out. Because it was on your top, so out of respect, I'm gonna. Oh, thanks. So I'm gonna substitute with <laughs> Billy in the car in the beginning. Woof. You know, really? Why? I don't know. This guy Sellier, he's not Spielberg. I'm telling you that much. <laughs> um, also, Billy having nightmares when he was a kid. <laughs> also, on that note, there's this scene where Billy is. Um, I think it's Billy. He's dressed as Santa, and then there's this girl who sits in his lap, and he goes, she goes like, ah, ah. <laughs> like she makes these <laughs> like very uncomfortable noises, and she, I think the directorial note was like, look uncomfortable, and she does this, she's like a nine-year-old, he goes, ah, ah. just, oh. Yeah, that's true. Brutal. 
Yeah. Um, I will say just like my bottom bottom is the fact that the church wins. Like this, yeah. one of these sisters should have been decapitated. I'll I'll I'll, I'll say I'll, I'll say this much. Like someone should have gotten at least like a knife in the back or just you know unfair. You know, because these these sisters were brutal. They're awful people. Especially Mother Superior. Mother Superior was an, like Nurse Ratchet looks tame in comparison. <laughs> um, I'm Mother Superior. I'm just also by the way. There's a scene where uh, at the very end where because they're they they've gathered in the orphanage because they think Billy's gonna come back and they kill the uh, the the deaf guy who dresses as Santa. So they randomly <laughs> just keep gunning down Santa Clauses. Like the the police officers, they they go. Just uh, they go into someone else's house because they see some Santa uh, walking into a into a window. But there's this moment in the when Mother Superior is singing songs with the children, um, and then little is it Ricky? Ricky opens the, the door brother, for yeah. Billy. Mm-hmm. So okay, so he, so Billy can't get in. This kind of bothers me actually when you think about it. But Billy can't get in, so Ricky has to let him in because. It's like a fire escape, so he has to push to exit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he gets in, and Mother's like, "No, Ricky, no!" And she's, "Oh my goodness!" But so the door closes, closes, closes behind him, and he's nearly just taking down Mother Superior. When you just think to yourself, oh, "Yes, Billy, fucking do it!" And he gets gunned <laughs> down by this film's Donald Pleasance, I suppose, or some, some the <laughs> yeah. sheriff. How did the sheriff get in there? Good point. Someone had to open the door. When he, you know, he had the other run with, with him, so I don't know. It's it's just it's just a mess. But yeah, what I'm trying to say, like, is what bothers me is the fact that none of these nuns um, end up with even as much as a scratch. Uh, they're back in the second one. Jesus. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm, like, I'm hoping one of them dies in the second <laughs> one. Don't spoil it. Um, in the meantime, so Silent Night, Deadly Night. You can watch it on. I think in the UK it's on Plex, so it's for free. Uh, this is how I watched it with, I want to say, like 15 minutes of ads. Oh, Plex <laughs> is bad for that. <laughs> it's just some, they have like two minute long breaks for ad, for ads. I'm just like, wow, I might as well just go and have a piss or something. <laughs> 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 it's just, you know, so that's how I watched it. I think in Canada you have to rent it. Yeah, that's how I got uh, it. I think, I think it's on Shudder in America. By the way, Christmas Evil is on Shutter in a bunch of markets, but in Canada, it's, it's on Tubi. Okay. All so. the sequels are on Tubi, mm-hmm. and I think the remake is in Tubi in Canada. Mm-hmm. So so this episode may may or may not have been sponsored by Surfshark VPN. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, so you can you can find it and watch it. And also, it uh, being a cult classic with, with, let's just say, a boutique appeal, there's plenty of good quality um, physical releases of this film so you can go and pick it up if you want to um, and that's it for today so we've done it episode one, number 150 is in the bag Randy so with that tell us where can we find you and your shizzle you can find me on X at Randy Burrows you can find me on Letterbox at Bratch7 and you can find me on my Facebook group Island Film Geeks boom legendary you can find me um, at talk about film on X ish. I don't know. I'm uneasy about this. 
uh, Jakub Flash on Letterboxd, flashonfilm.com, and also remember to follow at UncutGemsPod everywhere. We're on all major platforms, so you can go and find us there. UncutGemsPodcast.com is our HQ. Patreon.com slash UncutGemsPod is our, uh, our Patreon, where, where three bucks a month buys you access to over 70 podcasts, so get on that, and a bunch of them are free. Uh, and, you know... That's it. Stay tuned until next week because Wednesday Black Christmas is coming out on Patreon and then on f- next Friday we are going to continue our slasher journey through Christmas slasher journey, I suppose. We'll be talking about Krampus, which I think a good section of the conversation may involve figuring out how to pronounce this word correctly. <laughs> it may, yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll be talking about Krampus uh, and we shall yeah exactly that's it so you know like i've, I've done all like i front-loaded all these sort of like coffees and everything so might as well just spare you so you have yourself a merry little christmas even though there's still a few weeks few weeks out so stay tuned until next week and uh take care